miracle working power. It's what we're talking about in our message series, Experiencing God's Power. And we are looking in this series at just some of the miracles that are recorded by God in the Bible. There are so many miracles in the Bible, the series could go on for years just talking about God's miracles. But we've selected, I've selected some of the miracles for this series this summer. Now, what is the purpose of studying miracles in the Bible? Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this itself. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to take out a white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline and the verses written out. You can follow along there. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past, speaking of the things written in the Bible, was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so were the stories in the Bible, the miracle stories in the Bible, written down just so we could know what God did in the past? And the answer is yes, they were written so that we can know what God did in the past. But that's not the main reason according to Romans 15 verse 4. Like too many believers read the Bible as ancient history. You know, I went to school, that was not my favorite subject. Now I know there are some people who are historians. But many people read the Bible as simply ancient history. It's something that happened in the past. It has little or no application to my life today. Uh, many people believe that the miracles find, that we find recorded in the Bible, many churches teach that they cannot happen today because God is no longer in the miracle working business. Romans 15 verse 4 says that the miracle stories in the Bible were written to teach us not just to know ancient history, but so that we might have encouragement, so that we might have hope for today and tomorrow. In other words, we learn what God did in the past, so we understand who God is and what he does. So we have faith that he will do the same today and tomorrow. And so our study of miracles in the Bible is intended to increase our faith, not just believing what God did in the past. Yes, we believe he did those things in the past, but to believe him for miracles today and tomorrow. Now today, my message is entitled Miraculous Provision. Each of us needs God to provide for us. We have needs. We need God to provide for us. We need God to provide for our families so Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. <clears throat> now, this is not just talking about our food. Uh, obviously, it's talking about, I don't just want to eat bread, right? So I want to eat a few other things as well. It's not just talking about food of all kinds. It's talking about all the things that we need. It's talking about our clothes. It's talking about our housing, uh, everything that we need each and every day. And so... Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, after we pray this prayer, we pray that prayer in faith, we are not to worry about the needs that we have. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things is what we need to eat, what we need to drink, what we need to wear. And so God knows our needs, and God has promised to provide our needs. But sometimes God chooses to test our faith. God chooses to test our faith. And when God tests our faith, we have a choice to make. Are we going to worry 
about whether our needs will be met or are we going to trust God? Are we going to have faith in God? James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so sometimes God puts us in situations that are too difficult for us. Sometimes God puts us in situations where the need that we have is greater than what we feel we can meet. Sometimes God puts us into situations that seem impossible. We don't see any way out. We look right, we look left, we get ahead, we look behind, and we're trapped. We don't know any way to get out of the situation. So God tests us in these situations. He tests our faith. Now, we fail the test by simply relying on our own strength. And when we look at what we can do, we may just give up. We may get discouraged. We may worry. We may try our own solutions that don't work. And when we do that, we, we fail God's test. But to pass the test, we seek God's help in faith. We say, God, this looks like an impossible situation. I don't see any way out of it, but what should I do? You're the God of the impossible. I look to you to show me the way out of this impossible situation. And I intend to follow your directions. And so this morning, as we go through this message about miraculous provision, think in your own mind, am I facing a test today? Or do I see a test coming in my life tomorrow? Are you facing anything that seems to be an impossible situation, something that you simply can't seem to figure the solution out for? If so, God wants to help you to pass the test. God wants you to receive Miraculous provision, and that's what our story that we're going to be looking at this morning is all about. We're going to be looking at a miracle that Jesus did in John chapter 6. And as we begin the story, we're going to see that people follow Jesus for different reasons. Our story begins in verse 1. It says, sometime after this, in fact, last Sunday, we talked about the story of Jesus healing the disabled man who was laying by the pool. That was in John chapter 5. So that was in the chapter immediately preceding today. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. Great crowds of people followed Jesus throughout his ministry. Crowds that numbered in the thousands, as we'll see today, probably the crowd that was following him here was upwards to 15,000 people. That's a lot of people even today. A whole lot of people. Why did so many people follow Jesus? Well, some were simply curious. Others saw a lot of people following him and just joined the bandwagon. Most probably were not following Jesus for the right reasons. How do we know that? Well, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven... How many people were obeying his instructions to wait for the Holy Spirit? 120. That's a whole lot less than 15,000, is it not? Some people followed Jesus simply to see a miracle. Verse 2 says, A great crowd of people followed him and because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. So John chapter 5, as I said, we saw Jesus heal this disabled man by the pool and he was able to walk again. The other Gospels indicate 
the other gospels, all four of the other, I mean, all three of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell this same story, a little bit different language, emphasizing different points of the story we're going to talk about today. And they indicate that Jesus also healed uh, other sick people at this time. So besides the man by the pool, other uh, sick people were healed. It's part of Jesus' ministry. He did it all through his ministry. And so these verses here tell us that the majority of the crowd was following Jesus to see him do another miraculous sign. Now perhaps some who were following him were sick people and they needed his touch. They needed to be healed themselves. Others simply wanted to see a miracle. I just want to see if this is really true. I want to see Jesus do something dramatic. Now neither of those reasons were wrong and yet Jesus wanted something more from people who were following him. He wanted them to become disciples. For you see, other people followed Jesus. Others followed Jesus as disciples or as a disciple. Verse 3 and 4, Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Now what is a disciple? A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus. A disciple is a believer in in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, sometimes we talk about the 12 disciples. Well, there were 12 apostles, but there were a lot more disciples. In fact, in the New Testament, a disciple is any believer in Jesus Christ. Of course, the apostles were disciples, but there were a lot more disciples. Every believer in Christ was a disciple, every true believer. And that is true, not only in the time of the Bible, but it's true today as well. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a true believer, then you are a disciple of Jesus. You are a follower of him. Now, as these verses indicate, as it was often Jesus' custom, he went away from the crowd, from teaching the crowd, to teaching his disciples in a smaller setting. Jesus explained things. He taught things in greater detail with his disciples than when he taught the crowds. And Jesus also expected more from his disciples, from his committed followers, as we're going to see in a few minutes. And so just as people followed Jesus for different reasons back in his time, the same is true today. Uh, we can't follow Jesus physically, but people search after Jesus uh, in different ways. They go to church seeking to follow Jesus for many different reasons. Some try to follow Jesus because they're curious. Others are looking for a miracle. And yet others, because they're truly looking for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They're truly looking to be a follower of Jesus who is a committed disciple. And so some follow Jesus for what they can get from him. And others, as disciples, follow Jesus because they want to give back all that they have for what he has done for their lives. And so this morning, we need to ask ourselves the question, why am I following Jesus? Is it for what I can get from him or for what I can learn and give back? Now, Jesus tests his disciples' faith. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
Now the miracle, as I said before, that we're studying today is recorded in each of the other Gospels. And we learn in those that Jesus, Jesus had been teaching the crowd all day long, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And now it was closer to the end of the day and the people were all hungry. And so Jesus asked Philip a question to test Philip's understanding, to test Philip's faith. So where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now Philip looked out. The crowd was vast. We'll see in a few minutes, the scriptures tell us the crowd numbered 5,000 men. And scholars estimate, and we, you and I could estimate, with women and children, that might easily be 15,000 people. That was a very difficult question to answer. I mean, where could you get enough bread to feed 15,000 people. So let's see how Jesus' disciples responded to the question that Jesus was testing them with. Some calculated the impossibility of the miracle. Philip answered him in verse 7, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, eight months' wages is a lot of money. I mean, in today's dollars, it's tens of thousands of dollars, right? And, uh, but that's not nearly enough to feed everyone in the crowd. Each one would not even have a bite. Now, I doubt that Philip and the rest of the disciples really had eight months of wages. I doubt it. Uh, he was just saying, if we had that much money, that still wouldn't even put a dent in the need. Ba Philip was basically saying, this is impossible. I've calculated, and if somehow we could scrape together that much money, it still wouldn't buy enough bread to feed everyone. And so Philip was saying to Jesus, what you're asking is impossible. It's just not possible to be done. And so I believe that Philip did not pass Jesus' test. Uh, he got an F that day. Others worry that their resources are not enough. Verses 8 and 9, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes. But how far will that go among so many? And so Andrew actually went around to see what food was available from the crowd, and he didn't come up with much. Apparently the people had just followed Jesus, and maybe they didn't know that he would talk so long or they would stay so long. And it was late in the day, and only one boy that he could find, perhaps his mother had packed him a lunch, had five loaves and two fishes. And so Andrew actually did a little bit looking to see what was available. And rather than making a statement, we see that Andrew actually asked Jesus a question. You know, how far will that go among so many? Andrew was worried that the resources he had found were not sufficient for the task at hand. And so Andrew, I think, got a better grade than Philip. I give him maybe a, a D plus. But he also did not pass the test with flying colors. So how should Philip and Andrew have answered Jesus' question? How should they have responded to this question that was designed to test them? I think that first of all, they should have recognized, as they seem to, that 
This was an impossible situation. There was no way humanly possible to feed that many people. I mean, it seems to me, even if they had enough money, who had that much bread? You know, the little bakery shop down the street. It's like, okay, um, I'm coming in in 10 minutes and we got 15,000 people to feed. Can you get it ready? I mean, I don't think even if they had the money, anybody had enough bread anywhere near. They should have recognized it was an impossible situation. There was nothing in the natural they could do to meet the need. And then, it's what they didn't do. They should have turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to supernaturally supply the need. Jesus, what can you do? We know that you're the Son of God. We know that you've done miracles. We've just seen you do miracles of healing the sick, making a lame man that never walked for 38 years walk. Jesus, we are asking you to do something miraculous here. They didn't do that. But Jesus didn't give up on him. He was teaching them. And they were going to learn a lesson that day for the future. And so there are going to be times in our own lives when God is going to test us with what seem to be impossible situations. And we may try to calculate how can we do this? How can we get out? But when that becomes clear, it doesn't work. When it's truly an impossible situation for us, what should we do? Well, we should turn in faith to Jesus. We should turn in faith to our God of miracles. There's nothing impossible for him. We should pray and ask for his direction. What we should do in the situation that we're facing. And we should expect his wisdom. We should expect his direction. Sometimes the direction God may give to us is a way to bypass the impossible situation. There was a way out that we never saw before. Or he may change the situation. It may no longer be impossible. Or at other times, as in our story today, God will make miraculous provision possible. He'll do a miracle, and the need will be met. Now, James didn't even have time to pray, did you, James? I mean, or just bang, but God was there, miraculously protecting him in a situation that 99 times out of 100 or even 9,999 times out of 1,000 will be fatal, and yet God was there protecting him with his angels. And so we need to rely on our God of miracles. Now finally, Jesus demonstrates God's power. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And so God is a God of order. Uh, He wanted to do things in an orderly fashion. And so the other accounts in the Gospels tell us they had them sit down in groups of 50. And you don't try to feed 5,000 to 15,000 people and, and have them all, you know, come over here, boys, let's get it. You know, there would have been stampede, and uh, it has to be done in an orderly manner. And so they were seated in groups of 50. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He had it all under control. And what Jesus did was he multiplied the insufficient resources that were available Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, these are the five loaves the boy had, gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And so Jesus took the five loaves, the 
two fish that the boy had brought. I mean, I don't think Jesus took them from the boy. The boy gave them to Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. He received them from the boy, and he gave thanks to God for this little bitty lunch, this little sack lunch the boy had brought. He gave thanks for God's provision. He gave thanks for this drop in the bucket that couldn't possibly meet the need in the natural. And then he began to distribute the food. The other accounts show that he distributed to his disciples who distributed to the crowd. He didn't give each one just a small portion. Each person there received as much as they wanted. It's like, oh, we don't have much. We only got five loaves. Like, here's a little bit. It wasn't like that. They got as much as they wanted. How did the miracle happen? I don't know. But somehow, as the bread and fish were distributed, as they were broken and passed out, it just kept coming. It just multiplied as it was passed out. It wasn't something that all of a sudden there were mountains of loaves of bread. It was as they began in faith to pass it out, it just kept coming. It multiplied. And what had not been even close enough to meeting the need now became enough to meet the need. In fact, Jesus provided more than enough. Verse 12, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Here again, we see Jesus' emphasis on order. The leftover food was not just to be left laying on the ground for the birds to eat. It was to be picked up so nothing would be wasted. And they picked up 12 baskets full. That's a whole lot more than five loaves. A whole lot more. Undoubtedly, the leftover pieces were used to, to feed the disciples or perhaps to pass out to other people over the next couple of days. And so the leftover pieces from five loaves of bread now filled 12 large baskets full. The miracle that Jesus had done provided more than enough to meet what had been an impossible need. And so this miracle and other miracles are evidence of the kingdom of God. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the people knew that in the Old Testament, Moses had prophesied that a great prophet was going to come sometime in the future. This prophet would be the Messiah. And the Jews at that time thought the Messiah would come as their king, that the Messiah would deliver them militarily from Rome's rule and would reign over them. Now the people were right in the sense that Jesus' miracle of feeding 5,000 people, it was a sign of God's power. It was a sign of God's kingdom. And yet they and Jesus' disciples, as we continue to read through the Gospels, they did not understand, they did not realize that God's kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. God's kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. 
And when Jesus came at his first coming, he did not come to be crowned king. And so Jesus withdrew. That wasn't part of God's plan. He came to establish at his first coming a spiritual kingdom. And his followers, and that includes you and me, are to continue to expand this spiritual kingdom until he comes again. The second time he's going to come as a conquering king. And so this miracle and other miracles that Jesus did and miracles that his disciples did back then and do today are signs of God's kingdom breaking into our world and time. God's spiritual kingdom exerting power. And how was this miracle accomplished? It was accomplished by a boy giving Jesus all he had to give. Well, that's it. I give it to you. I, you know, I wonder what, what went through that boy's mind. You know, my mom packed the lunch. I'm the one. I'm the only one around here who's got any food. If I give this to Jesus, what am I going to eat? I mean, he didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but he gave it to Jesus. It was not enough in the natural, but Jesus multiplied it so that it was more than enough. I like us to watch a short video called Five Loaves and Two Fishes. And so the five loaves and two fish, they represent what we have to give to Jesus. What we have to meet the impossible situation. It's not enough, but when you give to Jesus what you have, when you give to Jesus all that you have, he makes it more than enough. Was true of the boy, it's true of us today. And so this morning, some of us may be facing difficult or seemingly impossible situations. They may be of many different kinds. It might be a health issue for one. For others, it may be a loved one who's not a believer. For others, it might be a financial problem or a job issue or something completely different. And you may feel completely inadequate to meet the need. It seems impossible. It may discourage you. You don't know what to do. Give God what little you have and say, God, I don't know what to do. But here's what I have. I give you everything that I have. Give thanks to God for what you have to give him. God, this is much. I thank you for what you've given me. And I give it to you. Use it. Multiply it to meet the need. And then trust Jesus to work a miracle. Trust Jesus to miraculously provide. Trust Jesus to give you wisdom as to what to do in your particular situation. Don't give up. Don't keep what you've got for yourself because you think, I'm going to do it my way. Give what you have to Jesus. Trust in God's power. God's power is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. So to have a relationship with Jesus, to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not a matter just of following him out of curiosity. It's not just a matter of following him because maybe you need a miracle for this or that. To be a disciple of Jesus involves giving your life to him, giving him all that you have. Admitting that you've sinned, you've done wrong things, putting your faith and trust in Him as your Savior, and committing your life to follow Him as your Lord. 
So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you've never, if you're not sure that you're a disciple of Jesus today, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've been doing wrong things, that I've sinned, that I've done my own thing in life. I haven't been following you each and every day. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, that you took the punishment for my sins. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord, to doing what you tell me to do, entrusting your power to see me through. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you, God, for the stories of your miracle-working power that we read about in the Bible. Forgive us, God, for sometimes reading those stories and thinking, yeah, that was, that's true. I know you did it back then, but that's another era. Those are Bible stories. They really don't apply to life today. Today, God, we confess that we believe that your power is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. You still can and will do the same things today. And for those that are facing impossible situations in their lives among us today, we pray, we ask, God, that you'd give, as they give you what they have, as they trust you to multiply what they have given to you, God, we pray that you would meet the need. Increase our faith, God, so that we can experience more of your power in our lives and in our church, God. And when we do, we pray that we would have the courage, the boldness to share with others, to give you the glory for what you've done. Help us not to give up. Help us to keep on praying. Help us to keep on believing until the answer comes. And again, we pray, God, for that when the answer comes, that we would have the courage to share with others in the church family and elsewhere about what you've done in our lives so that you receive the glory, you receive the praise, and others are drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.